Yo, partnership alert, partnership alert, partnership alert. Living Corporate has a partnership with LinkedIn Learning, an American massive open online course provider that provides video courses taught by industry experts across a wide array of subjects. Now, the partnership is because Living Corporate has courses on LinkedIn Learning focused on diversity, equity, inclusion for leaders, career professionals, and anyone really looking to upskill themselves and be better allies. So make sure you check out our courses on LinkedIn Learning by clicking the link in the show notes. And let's just say you don't want to do that. You go to LinkedIn Learning on LinkedIn, search Living Corporate. We'll be right there. All right. Peace. What's up, y'all? This is Zach with Living Corporate. And, um, you know, we bring on, if you notice it, you know, if you're a long time listener, you know this, but maybe it's your first time listening to Living Corporate. And, you know, uh, I'll tell you now, Living Corporate is a digital media network. We exist to center and amplify black and brown folks at work. And we do that by having really frank, authentic conversations with all types of people from executives to entrepreneurs to activists to elected officials to authors uh, you know, different types of public servants, right? We talk to all kinds of folks. And if you've been listening to Living Corporate for any amount of time, you'll notice that we talk to a lot of HR influencers, thought leaders, and executives, and just other professionals in the HR space. And the reason for that is because for still a large majority of these organizations, HR is the closest thing to employee advocacy that black and brown folks have. And even as you probably hear me say that, you're saying, but HR isn't here to really support employees. They're here to protect the company. And I would say you're right. And that's why if you listen to Living Corporate and you listen to our conversations, we're typically challenging how HR needs to be fundamentally reimagined, which is, again, a much more radical concept than you may like to think. It's actually quite a bit of work to really change human resources because human resources was always created with the intention to protect uh, the power structure that that company had set up, whatever the power structure is. And typically that power structure is white supremacist. And so I'm excited about today's conversation because we talked to Lars Schmidt. Lars Schmidt is um, a lot of things, but ultimately his brand is centered around the concept of redefining HR. And so he and I connected uh, some months ago, some while, while ago, actually. And um, he was gracious enough to have me on his podcast. So make sure you check it out. I'll put the links in the show notes. And we had this conversation um, a little while ago. Still relevant, though. We talk uh, we talk about just this, this era and this season, particularly as you think about this influx of talent, this Gen Z talent, a lot of black and brown folks and, and really what does human resources need to do? What do they need to look like structurally and functionally uh, to create space where talent isn't exiting at, you know, massive droves? So excited about the conversation. But before we get there, I want you to tap in with Tristan. So we're going to do that. I'm going to be right back. Mm. 
What's going on Living Corporate? It's Tristan and I want to thank you for tapping back in with me as I provide some tips and advice for professionals. Today, I want to talk about the truth behind your company's counteroffer. Have you ever been with an employer and you were performing extremely well, hitting all your goals and driving real results, then you tried to negotiate something? Maybe it's a raise, a new computer, a flexible work schedule, tuition reimbursement, a leadership position, you name it. No matter what you request, the answer ends up being no, sorry I can't make that happen, or we don't do that here. You get so fed up that you begin job searching. Eventually, you get a message from a recruiter. After going through the interview process and discussing what you're looking for, they're willing to give you all that you're requesting. Once you sign the dotted line, you go into work and put in your two weeks notice. You thank them for the experience they provided, told your boss that you enjoyed working with them, and you let them know that this company was willing to give you the things you were seeking. Only for your boss to say that you're an extremely valuable asset to the team and they don't want to lose you. They ask you to give them some time to see what they can do. After a day or two, they come back with that raise you were looking for, or now suddenly you can work from home two days a week. When you initially hear their response, you probably think, wow, that's great. Now I don't have to leave. Well, that's true. You don't. But take a moment and ask yourself, how did it all of a sudden become so easy to make this happen for you? Why didn't they offer you these things before when you requested them? Well, the answer is easy. They took you for granted. They made an assumption that you wouldn't take the opportunity to see what the job market was giving. Once other employers recognized the value of your talent, your company realized the mistake they were making. Can you stay? Absolutely, and in some cases you should. But always make sure to ask yourself, why didn't your current employer try to give you what you requested before? And why was this new company so ready to give you what you asked for right away? This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume, or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn. Lars, what's going on, man? Welcome to the pod. Zach, it's good to be here, man. I feel like it's been a it's it's been a hot minute since we uh, we last did one of these. It has been a hot minute, man. Um, hey, so. Look, you know, I, I, I'll say, let me start off by saying this. I think you are the fourth white man on Living Corporate. So, ah. so here we go. We got Drew, ah. right? We got Drew, a very white guy. That's his Twitter name. We got, <laughs> we got Dr. Jonathan Metzel, author of Dying of Whiteness. Uh, and then we got Xander Laurie, who's the CEO of SurveyMonkey. Yeah. And then we got you. I, I feel like I, I feel like I'm officially the least qualified white guy to be on the show <laughs> as well. So uh, let me let me <laughs> let me set that bar for your listeners already. <laughs> Very funny. No, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I I'm excited, man. Like you know, I this year has been something something else. And for those who don't know, you know, your background is in HR people. Um, yep. let's talk a bit about just what your perspective is of HR in this moment. And then like, where do you see it going? Yeah, that is, um, I, I will try to, to honor that question with a concise answer. I think probably the, the premise that I will start from is that I think, uh, you know, when I look at HR, uh, HR is a pretty broad spectrum 
right? And so I, you know, there's there's old school HR, there's new school HR, there's a lot of HR in the middle. Um, I tend to spend a lot of my time at that leading edge of HR, like those those high performing, really progressive, um, forward thinking teams and organizations that are are leading the way in terms of like what HR can and should be. Um, but I want to own that I, I get that that is a bubble that I'm in uh, because I spend a lot of my time there and there's a lot of, you know, more legacy uh, transactional HR where I don't spend a lot of my time. Uh, and so my my opinion and my perspective on where the field is tends to be colored by my immersion in that space. So I think I have to, you know, I have to qualify my answer with with that, um, just so you kind of know where I'm coming from. I think we are uh, we're at a really interesting place right now collectively in the field because, you know, you you have all of these transformative external factors that are opening doors for us to do things in a different way if we choose to step through them, and and that to me is an incredible opportunity for HR. Um, but we have to seize this moment. It's not going to happen unless we actually uh, are, are proactive enough to, to kind of step through that door. And this is, you know, as, as it relates to, uh, you know, internal equity and kind of social justice efforts within organizations, this is as it relates to thinking about hybrid work uh, and remote work and those constructs, flexible work, you know, we're, we're kind of at this interesting place where we've always talked about the future of work. And, and I kind of view that a lot of ways as like abdicating our responsibility for dealing with this shit now. And now is the opportunity that we really have to kind of rewrite how we do things. And so I, I'm bullish on our potential, but it's, it's, you know, it's a pretty pivotal time for us because if we don't seize this, there's going to be a lot of pressure on a lot of HR teams to kind of revert back to, you know, how things were in February of 2020. And, you know, in my view that that world can't exist anymore. It doesn't exist anymore. And so if we're, if, if CEOs are pushing people to get back into that space, uh, they're going to have some problems. Now, you know, that we, as a, a network, we're focused on centering and amplifying the perspectives and experiences of black and Brown people. Lars, like why has HR been so unhelpful for those on the margins? Yeah, I think a lot of that is if you look at the demographics of HR, you know, HR is 70%-ish white, um, 67%-ish female. Uh, the gender, I don't think, is, is matter as, as, you know, the whiteness of the field. I think that, you know, historically and in many cases to this day, uh, they, they, we white practitioners specifically haven't done the work necessary in themselves to kind of understand these systems that are designed to kind of self-perpetuate within companies and within businesses. And they're designed, you know, in a way that is, it, it's designed to be, uh, you know, to not impact them. To not affect them. And, and so they haven't seen it. They haven't done the work to identify it and understand it. Uh, and because of that, they, you know, they, they've, they've been asleep, honestly. Uh, they, they haven't been able to really try to kind of understand, um, you know, the, the, the systems and the programs and how they do what they do. And that has had a, a tremendous adverse impact to those on the margins. Um, and they just haven't, you know, been willing to kind of 
do the work to understand the harm they're doing. And, and I'm, you know, I, I'm optimistic that aspects of that is changing. Like I think the field of HR is having conversations around, you know, racial justice and equity that, um, that I haven't seen in HR before, but there's, you know, you know, we, we have to own that there's so far to go, uh, and that the efforts, uh, have to be sustained and frankly, can't, and like, there's no timestamp, there's no destination for the amount of work that needs to be done. You know, to that end, I want to talk to you and get your perspective, you know, on the last 12 months. But before I do that, just responding to what you're talking, what you're saying, it's interesting. I, I came into the corporate space. My first job was an HR manager at a store, at a major retailer. And I recall, um, I just recall wanting to really like innovate and build and again, big box retailers. So they were like, no, you have a, there's a manual, right? We follow the manual, <laughs> right. right? And so I, I just was so disillusioned by that. You know, I, I got up out of there and got into uh, org design and, uh, and uh, training like, and, and jumped out of retail, went to oil and gas, like right after that, I was like, this is, this is not for me. Um, so I hear you about the fact that, you know, this space has to just be more than essentially the guardians for the company, right? Like they kind of operate, HR oftentimes has a reputation, and I think rightfully so, is operating as this, again, like the gatekeepers around uh, the company. They they exist to mitigate risk. They exist to, um, you know, to quell the, to quell the dissenters. Um, to that end, I'm curious to get your perspective. You know, we look at the last 12 months. Um, Barry Williams uh, just dropped a piece in Fast Company talking about all the all the a lot of those shows of allyship and commitments. A, a large majority of those things have fallen flat. I'm curious to get your perspective, yeah. though, you know, in the wake of the murder of George Floyd and 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 frankly, one of the most tumultuous election seasons we've ever seen. Uh, rounded out by an insurrection. <laughs> it's no, shortage, no shortage of events. I mean, yeah, it's like you 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 have to kind of laugh to keep from crying. I think, right? It's well, it's just the absurdity of it all. Yeah. Um, or there's just how how surreal it all is in real time. I'm curious. I'm curious to get your perspective on what what conversations were you have were you having? What were you observing? Um, in the HR space over this past year? Like, what did that look like for you sitting where you sit? Yeah, I mean, I think that for a lot of people, it was a time of of introspection. And, and that didn't that didn't come right away. And like, look, I'll I'll be I'll be really honest on my own journey. Like, I think after George Floyd's murder, you know, like everybody, like I was I was outraged and like obviously this is not a new phenomenon. Like cops have been, you know, killing black and brown people in broad daylight for years. And I think that the, the, you know, maybe it was part of the pandemic and we're all home, but it was just this, this, you know, it, it, the experience I think was, was felt differently. I I think in particular uh, for white people that were, you know, maybe hadn't been paying the level of attention that they should for black and brown people. They're like, yep, this is, you know, this is nothing new. This is something that is happening all the time. And uh, you know, I think, I think as people responded to those events, um, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I want to, you know, I want to do something. Right. I was like, like the, you know, white outrage. Oh, I got to do something about this. This is, this is terrible. And I think for a lot of people, they, they, they came out kind of hot in that, 
without necessarily doing the work themselves on educating themselves. And, and, you know, if I'm honest, like I was probably one of those people too, where I, I came out and I'm like, I want to, I want to do something like I want to be a value. And I think that it, uh, you know, I had a few friends kind of check me on that and, and, and they were absolutely right to do so. And so I, I kind of cooled off and said, you know what, like I, I need to do a lot of work. Like I, I need to do a lot of, uh, I need to do a lot of reading. I need to do a lot of listening. I need to, to really, understand the space a bit better. And I think that that, you know, my kind of personal journey is probably something that, you know, a lot of companies, you know, they came out and they made, you know, commitments and pledges. And it was like this knee jerk reaction to do something publicly, right. Without necessarily really thinking through how it would work, or even if it's the right thing to be doing, right. Is this, is this additive? Is this even helpful? Uh, and so I think that, you know, a lot of HR practitioners in the conversations that, that I've had kind of in that, you know, and again, owning that it, it's that more progressive wing of HR, they went through similar experiences, you know, where, where they kind of said they, they came out a bit hot and their companies are looking to them to, you know, what, what are we going to do and how are we going to, you know, what, what kind of spaces are we going to create within our organizations? Um, and they, you know, they, they were a lot, under a lot of pressure from their CEOs and employees in some cases to make commitments, but they also were not really equipped to do so thoughtfully. And so I, I think, again, in the, you ask kind of in the areas and the circles of, of CPOs that I'm typically connected with, that's kind of the, the, the process that I think that took. Um, and I think through the work, uh, and, and the work isn't like a moment of time, it's a, it's an ongoing thing. I think that they're, they're, they're trying to be more thoughtfully and informed and educated in helping kind of uh, steer their executives towards programs that will really be thoughtful and additive uh, and not performative, which I think a lot of them did in the early days. You know, and to that end, right? Like I, I remember on Living Corporate, I talked about this, like this, and I'll challenge you, I'll challenge you while saying this, even though I'm not talking about you specifically. Yeah. Um, the, the desire to like very quickly get out there and do something is um is it's it's appreciated but if it's not handled authentically it often is just like a it's often like a way for folks just to kind of stroke their own egos you know what i mean yeah yeah i was talking to a friend of mine and i was talking about it's like you know i feel like sometimes white folks they treat black and brown people in this context specifically black people like we're like um orcas at SeaWorld. And he was like, what do you mean by that? And I was like, I was like, you know, like I can look at the, the Orca show or like hear about how Orcas are mistreated and be like, yo, that is wrong. Like that is, that's wrong. Like Orcas should not be in captivity. They're too smart. Like your, your enclosures are not big enough. And like, there's these videos of you like harming them. And it's like really gross. And like, there's this whole ocean, like just let them go. It's fine. Like we have Google, we can engage and appreciate orcas in different ways. We don't need SeaWorld and all this stuff. And I might even donate like to something that like, <laughs> but, yeah. but at the end of the day, Lars, like none of that changes the fact that I don't think orcas are human beings. Right. Right. Like, yeah. like I'm not going to have an orca in my home. An orca is not going to date my daughter. I'm not going to have a conversation or even seek to understand to dis to communicate with an orca while orcas are may they might be intelligent for orcas they're not as intelligent as i am and i 
And I think like this, that, that, that sentiment, that attitude, like I said, I think it's very similar um, to how a lot of people, corporations, since we like to treat corporations as people, corporations included, (laughs) right? Corporations included, like we treat, we treat black and brown people like they are like these big charity cases. Like there are these amorphous theoretical um, causes to support, but that we don't really empathize with them because we don't really see them as human. We don't see them as equal to us. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I get that analogy. Like, I think that, uh, you know, particularly for, for, you know, white people who don't have a lot of black and brown people in their lives, like they can't like they, they, they can, they can sympathize, but I think a lot of people had a harder time empathizing and really trying to empathize and kind of understand and understand just the, the vastness and the embeddedness of these like systems of white supremacy that are entirely designed to benefit them. And so in their mind, they're, they're completely invisible. They don't even see them. They don't think about them because they, they live in that world and they live in those benefits every single day. Um, you know, and that, that is, I think again, for people who, who are really focused on kind of learning and like that, that awareness was a wake up call for the people, hopefully I should say for the people that had done the work to kind of really start to understand these broader systemic, um, issues, frankly, that were all designed to support them and make their lives easier. And, 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 and so that, that is, uh, you know, I, I think that is, is, is a bigger thing. Certainly for me, I think that was something that I, I became aware of. I mean, even looking at within HR, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who was, you know, speaking at conferences pretty regularly and had been doing that for about eight years. And, and I, I had never up until kind of last year, like really thought, okay, like who are these conference people promoting? Like who are the people who are regularly seen on the stage and, and, and it was often white people and I was one of them, you know? And so I, I started thinking differently about how I participated in conferences and like how I, you know, tried to, to use whatever influence I had to make sure that there were different, um, people, different voices, different perspectives, different backgrounds, but frankly, uh, you know, more diversity and less whiteness on the stage. You know, it's, it's interesting too, Lars, like we're, we are, we are in this heightened moment of awareness and conscientiousness. I'm curious, like, and I've asked this question several times over the past, you know, eight months. Do you think this is a movement or you think it's a moment? You know, for, H- it, for HR. Yeah. It's a really interesting question. You know, I was, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm responding to you saying that because I remember I was speaking to um, Tiffany Stevenson, who was Box's former head of DNI on my podcast. And, and I was asking her like her, you know, perspective on, uh, you know, the events of last year and kind of how that fits into the broader um, context of, you know, the civil rights movement, which is, you know, obviously multi-generational. And she, she, you know, she kind of used this term of, of movements, movements versus moments. And that, you know, the events were a moment in a, you know, much obviously longer standing, you know, movement towards social justice and equity. And so I think that it is, for for the field of HR, uh, it was a very loud moment. But my my hope is that in areas where it didn't already exist, it planted the seeds for a for a broader movement. Um, and it it has to right. Like I think that we can't we can't let the 
the momentum that was gained, uh, you know, through all the pain and adversity that was amplified in 2020, um, move on, particularly as the field of HR is at this time where we, we really have an opportunity to rewrite like the playbook of HR, what we do, how we do it, how it works, um, who it serves. And that, you know, to your point earlier, HR was rooted in as a compliance, you know, out of compliance, right? It was, it was a function oriented in risk aversion. Uh, and so, you know, there's a well-earned reputation of the function always taking the side of the company, right? And not the employee. And I think if you look at, again, those modern kind of leading teams, um, it's a balance and they, they find a way to represent both constituents. Does that mean they're perfect to doing that every time? Definitely not. Um, but I think that they view their role as a, as an HR leader, as a people executive to be able to represent both interests and kind of be that balance between them at, at times when they're in conflict. And see, I think my challenge, Lars, I think I, and I, this is a, a separate, we can totally talk about it here, but like getting into it and like having an extended conversation, probably a separate pod, but it's like, see, I don't think that's possible. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't think it's possible because of the way that capitalism is set up. I don't think it's mm-hmm. possible to fully and authentically represent the interests of an employer while then also representing um, the working class, the, 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 uh, the disempowered minority, right? Like, I don't think it's, I don't think it's possible to represent the power majority and the disempowered minority simultaneously, or like figure out a middle ground because so often in those situations, like the middle ground is some level of accountability for the power majority that they're just not going to be willing to give. Am I tripping yeah. on that? Uh, you know, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm, I feel that it's, I feel it's possible. I do feel it's possible. Um, do I feel it's common? You know, absolutely not. Do I feel that it's going to, it's going to work that way all the time? I, I don't like, I do think, you know, to your point of moments and movements, like if this is an extended moment that leads to a type of movement where we're really thinking you know, holistically about the role of HR and people operations and, you know, and work itself, right? Which I think we're kind of in that moment where we're really thinking about like, what is, what, what is work and how does it work? Like we're, we're, you know, we're still up until February of last year, we were still working under kind of industrial era constructs of work, you know, had to be in an office, had to be nine to five, uh, had to be Monday through Friday. Again, I'm, I'm generalizing roles. Like obviously some roles don't fit that category, but many of us did. Uh, right. And that's starting to shift. So I'm, a, uh, you know, in in my line, like I've got to be, I've got to be hopeful, and I've got to try. You know, I, I I see, you know, whatever role I play here is like trying to push those conversations and those practices to be able to find that balance. Because I, I think, you know, you can't if you view your role in HR as solely serving the business and the company, then and and, and you know. And, and not, you know, the, the, the employees are just like, how do you make them fit into the company structures that the employer wants? Like, I think that that's just, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how that, how that continues to work long-term, especially in this environment of change that we're in right now. No, um, I'm, so I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. Yeah. So, so I appreciate that. And, and I hear you. I think, I think I, I, I am, I'm doubtful about the balance, but I'm also open to seeing an example of it happening, right? I don't yeah. want, I'm not going to sit back and say it's not going to fold my arms and be like, it, it's like no way, uh, be stiff necked about it, but I'm curious about it, right? Um, yeah. So, I mean, so, look, you, let, let's be honest, like you you have all the reason to be skeptical ab- about that working. You're going to have to see it to, to believe it. And I would, I'm hopeful I, that I we'll will. be in that position. No, 100%. I mean, it's a, you're, you're absolutely right, right? Like I have, 
I have 11 years of work experience. No, 10 years. Ooh, okay, don't age myself too quick. 10, <laughs> 10 years of work experience uh, that, 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 that makes me, uh, that, that draws a high level of skepticism. Let's talk about this, though. Um, you know, your, your podcast, uh, your, your org, Redefining HR, we're, we're coming into a season where we're talking about returning to office. You know, it's, I didn't say return to work because everybody's been working. Yep. Uh, but this, there's this, there's this pressure to return, return to the office. Where, where did you see HR going in this new, um, this new context where there are folks not returning to the office? They don't want to go back to work. Uh, folks are offering um, bonuses for people to to, to return. Um, of course, as you know, people are quitting left and right. Yeah. Are prioritizing their own mental health um, and and their families, finding other things to do, gig working um, and living differently so that they can just be home. You know, where do you see HR operating and playing in this new future? Yeah. I mean, look, I, we're going to be front and center in all of it, right? Like I think if you, you know, they're, they're obviously setting aside the roles that don't have an opportunity to work remotely, right? And that's a sizable part of the workforce. So let's, you know, kind of acknowledge that, set that aside for a minute. For the employees that were able to work and, you know, what do you want to call knowledge workers or whatever, but people who are able to work from home and they didn't really have to be in office, like I think most of those companies are hybrid by default now. And, and the, the you know, the, the, we, what we have to get away from in HR and business in general is like absolutism thinking, right? It was like, um, you know, it, it, we've got to be all co-located. We've got to be all distributed. You know, we've got to be all high. That's not necessarily what everybody wants. People want choice. People want flexibility. Uh, and for some people, that means like they're dying to get back into an office five days a week. For other people, they'll never go back into an office. And the majority are somewhere in between. And so, you know, the exciting, but albeit, you know, probably super stressful and difficult uh, from a management standpoint in terms of HR is like creating flexible constructs for work, right? Like we're not used to that. We're used to kind of playbooks around like this is how we do performance. This is how we do compensation. This is how we do uh, recruiting. And, and now like those playbooks don't really fit. We have to not only do we have to kind of rewrite how we think about them, but we also need a couple versions of them to account for flexibility that our employers want. So to me, it's like, I, you know, I had a conversation with somebody on LinkedIn earlier today. I was like, look, the future work is choice. Like it's, it's choice. Like that's what employees want. Survey after survey is saying like that choice is ultimately what they want. And very few people, some people want to go back in office, but very few people uh, like their priority is to be back in the office five days a week. I think going through the, this humanity shaping event with the pandemic and being home with our families, like for many people, their priorities have shifted. And it's not just about like work, work, work. Um, they want to have some balance. They want to be able to have more time with their families or themselves, or they're more mindful of their own, you know, mental health and stress levels and want to take better care of themselves. So I think we're, we'll be emerging out of this, like as a society and as a workforce with different needs and different expectations. And so the field of HR and all of those things is going to be front and center in designing that uh, either well or horribly. And I think companies that struggle with that are companies that have, you know, old school CEOs who are pushing to get everybody back into an office before they're ready. Um, they're going to have a really hard time holding on to talent. Yeah, man. I'm going to tell you, like, a bunch of stuff can't be true at the same time. Like the the whole idea of like two things being true, two things can be true. That's true. I agree. And I also understand 
And I also understand that there is, you know, there are, there are types of work that, you know, folks are, you know, that is still somewhat needed in person, but, but come on, man, it's 2021. Right. Like there's certain things we don't have to be in office. And like so much of this is I think and I'm I'm really hoping and praying um, that, you know, as as millennials and Gen Z get into more senior decision making level, truly like C-suite level roles, that some of this thinking and this desire to just like lord over people or like see. You know, see, see you like you don't have to see me. To, for me to do my accounting like I can do accounting anywhere I can do right. some of these jobs it's like bro like I have a computer we have zoom we have phones we have email we have you know different types of teaming uh pr- platforms and tools like why we don't have to be in person for this I think yeah. I, your whole point around like you know options resonates with me because some folks do like the you know i need to compartmentalize i want to go away to work and then come home to rest and i don't want to i don't want i don't maybe i don't i'm not privileged enough to have a space that i can dedicate for work maybe i don't want to do that with my home you know flexibility is important and i i, I would hope that organizations can start connecting these dots and i'm i'm gonna be honest every time these companies um they they kind of they falter a little bit or you know, their business takes a hit because they're losing people. I applaud Lars. Cause I'm for the people. Like, yeah. Because, yeah. because at a certain point it's like, look, y'all are making enough money. And guess what, man? Like we know we talk about this whole free market system. If, if, if you can't, if you have to browbeat people at your office um, for you to be uh, successful or sustainable, you know what? I'm not really tripping about y'all existing or not. I don't really care. Right? Yeah. 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 I mean, look, I think too, like I, I, I was on, I remember in the early days, like I was, I, you know, when I, the book came out and I was talking, doing a lot of webinars and stuff and, you know, some of the people were like, well, you know, how do you, uh, how, you know, how do you kind of measure and, 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 and kind of observe productivity if somebody's remote? I'm like, how the hell do you do that when they're in the office? Like, what's the difference? Like, because you physically saw them sitting at a desk, you, you could automatically just assume that they were banging out spreadsheets or I was like, it's, you know, we, we have to get better at measuring like output and work. And like, I don't care where you do it. I don't care when you do it. Like I, I care about what gets done and like that, you know, we, we, we kind of came from measuring more of like, you know, butts in seats than, than the output and quality of work. Absolutely. So I, I think that's going to start to change. Uh, and I think to me, like a topic that I'm, I'm super intrigued about right now is, um, you know, kind of optimizing asynchronous work uh, and, and the idea of like, I think if companies, the companies that really master that and do that really well, like they're going to unlock so much potential. And and I'm just, I'm, I'm super excited. Like I'm trying personally, I'm trying to kind of adapt some of my own kind of habits and communication and the way that I work um, towards more of an async, you know, default where I'm telling people like, you know, who, Hey, let's get the call. Like, no, I don't think this needs to be a call. Like let's just trade some emails or let's, you know, let's, I'll send you a video or like, I think there's ways that we can do that. That isn't just like stacking meeting on meeting on meeting and sitting on zoom all day. No, a hundred percent. And that's the other thing too, is like you and I both know that we don't have to be on a call or I don't have to be in front of you to get this work done. Yeah. Right. But we, and it's, it, it kind of goes back though, Lars to like, and I'm gonna be honest, like, I'm really like, and the more I just, I'm, and I've been trying to, I've been reading different books and 
challenging myself to be more of a systems thinker. It's like, just where, where does this mindset come from? I don't, I think it has something to do with capitalism and scarcity and just this idea of like, I, I don't just those t- capitalism and scarcity mindsets. Like they, they foster mistrust. They foster, yeah. right. Like it's hard. I can't trust you to go away, do what you say you're going to do and come back and get it done. Um, and then on top of that, you know, some of us has varying levels of, um, of addiction to comfort, right? So, because sometimes like, okay, look, maybe you didn't get it done. Now we're gonna have to have a conversation about why you didn't get it done. And let's like, we can just have that conversation. We, you, you're held accountable for that. We have a plan going forward, and we do it, whatever that is. And I, I think that, um, you know, I, I would hope that, and I'm, I'm still just hopeful. I, I dare to be hopeful that organizational cultures can get there, so that folks can work asynchronously. I, I just you know, like the the world is just too big. We have too much technology, and the world's also too connected. At the same time, it's big, but it's also really small. It's smaller than it's ever been. Like, yeah, we gotta. We have to figure it out, man. Yeah, I mean, look, I think uh, you know the whole pandemic was a a pretty you know strong forcing function uh, to get us there, and I think there's a lot of people who will never go back. And I mean, I'm also really intrigued about it, when you think about the, you know, the, the emergence of remote and distributed and hybrid, and it's going to take on, you know, a variety of forms and that's fine. Like employees, I think employees will be in a position where they can choose the work environment. That's going to fit the lifestyle they want. Like they're not going to be boxed into, you know, well, this is how we work and this is it. And again, there's a lot of privilege with that statement. I want to, I want to own that, but like for people who are, you know, tech workers or they're, uh, you know, uh, salespeople are in kind of demanding jobs that are, that are, you know, by default can be done anywhere. Um, if they don't want to go back into an office, they, they won't have to. And I, I think it's, it's interesting, like what that leads to in terms of time. Like, I think you'll see more people in, you know, chasing that dream of like a passion project or a side hustle or whatever. I think you'll see more people, you know, spending more time with families and creating more, you know, memories and events and activities there. So I think that the, you know, the overall outcome of that is net net positive for everybody. I think it's just, you know, there, as to your point earlier, like there will definitely be some capitalistic uh, pressure you know, as you're already seeing from like, you know, Jamie Dimon or other CEOs are like, yeah, like the, I saw an article two weeks ago, the, uh, of all people, the CEO of WeWork was like, yeah, oh. you know, you can, you can tell who's, who's really motivated at work by the people who want to come into an office. I was like, about, get out of here get with out that. Out of here. No, Lars, I, I hated that, man. I read that. I was yeah. like, That's disgusting. Like, yeah, it was like your, your motivation is clearly financial. Like you're a real estate company. Yeah. <laughs> right. of, of, co- of course you want people to show up in these floating offices. The irony of that is that we work is supposed to be a, it's a flexible work site space. So like the idea is I should like, what's stopping me from working at home? Like I, the, the logic of that just made, it made me so angry, but anyway, yeah. Um, look, before I let you go, Let's talk about redefining HR. Let's talk about, um, you know, the work that you're doing and just what you're excited about over the next year, man. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I, I'm, I'm fired up for the opportunity that I think HR has right now. And I think, uh, you know, for, for redefining HR, you know, it started as the the podcast, it kind of evolved into a book and now it's evolved into this new accelerator platform that is, you know, those things plus, you know, a, a cohort um, kind of CPO accelerator program, uh, courses, uh, and then I'll be launching a, a newsletter and community soon. So like, I, I think for me, I'm, I've been kind of building these global networks of people who are operating at the, 
at the the leading edge of HR. And like, that's been hugely beneficial for me and my editorial work and podcasts and whatever else. Um, but I want to, you know, with the accelerator platform now, I really want to start taking a more active role in, in helping shape like the next generation of CHROs and CPOs and, and kind of um, connect them with ideas and practices that they'll need to build modern, you know, organizations. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. It's a, it's, it's, it's a new thing. Like I haven't, uh, you know, kind of building, building, I've been building communities for a long time. I've been building, um, you know, uh, not, not really training material, but, but similar types of things, but this is, uh, I'm, I'm in this, this position now where it's like all the things that are my kind of personal passions and, and interests, uh, and desires for what I want to do for the field, uh, are all aligning in, in this just, just pretty, uh, pretty cool way. So I'm really excited about it. Look, I I'm thankful for you. You know, I, I've always said, you know, it's going to take like this, um, it's going to take coordination, right. Between, um, internal forces and external forces to really drive equity and drive systemic change. Um, you know, I, you know, HR has to re be redefined. It has to be, you know, I know I, we had Lori Ruderman, Ruderman on the show, um, shoot, man, some months ago, you know, she's really big on like HR needs to be completely dismantled. And I, I vibe with that. I, I, I think whatever words you want to use though, we, it need it needs to be there. It needs to just systemically and fundamentally change. And so the work that you're doing, um, is critical for that. And I am, uh, I'm excited. I'm thankful for, for your work. I'm excited for us to continue to talk. And, um, it's important, man, that we have folks of all hues, uh, but particularly white folks in these spaces to, um, to advocate, right. And to like really, um, be those voices of like thinking future, thinking inclusively, thinking intersectionally, and then also having the humility to go, you know, I need to bring somebody else in here, but I know that you need to hear this message, right? Like that's really important. So I appreciate you, Lars. Um, yeah, we, uh, look, you know, you were a friend of the show before you came on the show, but you're definitely a friend of the show now. Um, we'll talk to you soon, man. Yeah, Zach, I, I appreciate the opportunity to come on and um, yeah, looking forward to more uh, conversations and collaboration. All right, man. Peace. And we're back. Yo, shout out to Lars. Thank you so much. It's important. I really want y'all to understand, right, that human resources has to change, right? So this is for everybody listening, for the employees or people who are looking to get into the workforce. You need to understand that you have the right to expect more from your HR professionals and for the HR professionals and executives listening. Hey, your role has to change. Right. So often human resources acts as this gatekeeper of sorts, this power hoarder. But really, um, they act as the police of an organization. They act as the 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 enforcement arm of uh, the executive interests of that company. And it's important for you to understand if you're listening to this and you're an HR leader or you're some type of executive, your role will not be sustainable in this new future, right? Like we're talking about this whole thing around the great resignation and, and other folks have framed it in different ways, but ultimately it's employees are really seeking and understanding their power, right? 
and you know being on the side of the person with the most power or the group with the most power or the group that historically has been oppressive will not be sustainable for you in the future and so that doesn't mean that hr has to function as some activist arm looking to destroy the companies they work at but their role should be much more employee centric and focused on advocacy for the employee and there's a way that that can work in a working context that is functional but when the premises that we work from are capitalistic and very and by that nature exploitative that's where you find rub and friction so again HR needs to be structurally reimagined. Work is being structurally reimagined right now. That's why you, you're seeing all these different shifts and people going to different places. It's because we're actually rethinking what it is, it, what it means to work and what we want from our jobs. And so what I what I really want folks to to take away from this as they listen to this is if you're in those positions, those um, HR positions that you will be left behind if you're not challenging and reimagining how you show up different. Okay. It is critical. It is critical. Shout out to Madison Butler, Madison Butler, writer for living corporate. She said something though. And this is a sentiment that's been said by several people. So I don't want to act like no one else has said this, but she tweeted this and I want to give her, her kudos for this is she said that HR has to have some type of understanding of diversity, equity, inclusion. They have to have some understanding of power dynamics. They have to have some understanding of just like how different people, non-white people navigate these spaces. It's critical. HR has been historically white and historically white female. And it's important that, um, that folks really, challenge even that HR itself has been fairly exclusive to everyone that is not white. So all of this being said, <laughs> rant aside, we have to redefine HR. I'm going to shout out Lars again. Make sure again, you check out the links in the show notes, explore, learn about Lars's platform, what he's doing. His podcast is super fire. We had a really good conversation and um, yeah, we'll catch you next time. Make sure you give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you check out the merch. Make sure you just check out the Living Corporate channel. We got a lot of stuff popping, y'all. New pods, new shows dropping later uh, next month. And um, I'm excited for y'all to check them out. So just keep your eyes peeled. More to come. Talk to you soon. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.